Hello, it's Mick. Just before we get into today's episode, I want to introduce you to our Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's a subscription service where you can chuck us a couple of quid every month if you like what we're doing, and that helps support the podcast, pay for licenses and pay for new equipment to make the show better and all that sort of stuff. So head over to patreon.com forward slash HM4AS, the four being the number four. And if you can give us some money, that would be really, really great. Uh, I know times are hard, so if you haven't got any money and you're still enjoying it, then please share it, tell your friends, put stuff up on your Instagram stories, retweeting, all that sort of stuff. Uh, it's really great, and thanks thanks for listening. There are a couple of tiers on the Patreon. So there's the first tier, which is just general support, and that gives us £3 a month, which works out at 75 pence per episode. Uh, then there's a middle tier, which is £5 a month, uh, and that gives you everything in the tier below, and you also get discount on merch. And Lucy's going to draw you a Patreon-exclusive digital print that you'll get when you sign up. And then there is a top tier, which is £10 a month. And I know that sounds like a lot of money, but it really, really, really will help us uh, keep the podcast going. And with that one, you get everything in the two tiers below it. Plus, you'll also get a physical print every two months and a free T-shirt when the merchandise that Lucy's making comes. So it's all very exciting. Thank you very much for listening and hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, this is Bob Tyrell, and you're listening to How Much for a Sleeve. Hello, it's Mick and Lucy from the popular tattoo-based podcast, How Much for a Sleeve. And we'd like to give a few moments over to our new sponsor, DSM Tattoo Machines. Lucy, tell us a bit about them. Well, Mick, DSM Tattoo Machines make exceptional coils and now a new rotary. Tattoo machines, not guns. You can check them out at dsmtattoo.co.uk. And don't forget, you get 10% off with discount code SLEEVE10. They also make a range of needles. You can find them at lockdownneedle.co.uk. I think they're very nice. How much for the screen? Hello and welcome to How Much for a Sleeve, a podcast about tattooing hosted by an actual tattooist. Lucy. And an actual knob, Mick. Uh, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Bit sad. My uh, favourite sports team lost in a cup final today, but I'm not that sad. It's, I mean, what's this? 15 seconds in mm-hmm. and we've got straight to sportscast. Lost. Actually, this episode is sportscast, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Sports pod. It is because we've got Lal Hardy, who is a Tottenham fan the same as I am. And yeah. he we spoke we speak a bit about Spurs on the on the pod, and he also sent you loads of pictures of him tattooing Spurs players to send to me, which was wonderfully lovely yeah. to look at. I was acting as like the in the middle person and you were t- sending me stuff <laughs> I didn't understand and he was sending it back and I was like, What does this mean? Coys. Yeah. Come on, you Spurs. Yeah. And what was the other one? Don't know. Don't know. Me neither. Because it's like a different language. Um, but so yeah. anyway, never mind. What, never what mind. Have you, what have you been up to? You've, you've, you've been at the pub. Oh, my God. I had an actual night out last night. Yeah. And it was quite unexpected, actually. Yeah, it was one of those. Though, yeah, definitely. Like we'd planned. 
when the pubs opened again and we could sit outside like my friends and I were like why didn't we book somewhere we're so desperate to go and so we managed to book for last night we got one pub in Bury, and the only time we could reserve a table was quarter past eight and then last orders was at 10 so we're like we'll take it we'll just take it mm-hmm. and we we're, were walking they, were through they, were they relaxed with last orders at 10 or were they very strict well we don't know um ah. <laughs> because we we said we'll walk through town and see if we can just find somewhere to have a drink before going to there and we walked past a bar that did cocktails and they were just cleaning a table an outside table so we quickly sat down and ordered and, and the um the waitress came over and we said um we said something about what time do you close and she said oh we close at one o'clock and we were like what i thought they weren't allowed i thought there was rules or is that just each well i don't like- know but it turned out they didn't close at one because it got to quarter to 12 and it was suddenly like, okay, you've got to leave now. And they had to close at 12. But so we just decided to stay there and I was drinking pina coladas all night. That was fun. Yeah. Because I'm middle-aged now. <laughs> you, right. Question. Did you tell the pub you were supposed to go to that you weren't going? Um, we sent an email at two minutes before. <laughs> um <laughs> Would you be so annoyed if, tell them. if someone didn't turn up for their tattoo but sent you an email two minutes before? I'd be really cross. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know. I let you off. I know. So you were there getting smashed up on fruity yeah. beverages? Yeah. Uh, it was so good. It was so good. It was such a mixture of people. The table next to us were like four 18-year-olds. And um, they kept going for toilets around the corner. Like toilets, toilets around the corner. He did a toilet. <laughs> they were taking a toilet. <laughs> they kept going for a wee around the corner, and every time they came back, I was like spraying him with hand, like both these young lads with hand sanitizer. I was like, that's disgusting. Just being what, they, rowdy. What, what pissing up the? Like, they were pissing into a bin. Dirty boys. Why don't they go I to the toilet? <laughs> I know. I know. It's so every cons- time we were like, so your easy boyfriend is weird. <laughs> just go and lash up a bin or a bush. Nah, fuck yeah. that matters, it? We're fairly sure that they um, had something to do with county lines because these two young lads were both wearing Canada Goose uh, jackets and they had Canada Goose jackets, got like a little badge on it saying like, we kill birds or something mm-hmm. like that. And I said, does that say uh, county lines on your badge? And he was like, how do you know about county lines? And I said, how old do you think I am? And I don't live under a work like Jesus Christ. And, um, so did they have any gear or not? Well, that's what they were. They were talking about it all the time. Like they kept, there was one other lad and he kept coming over to them and obviously doing like some really dodgy little deal. And, um, and we kept making, because they were standing next to us, we kept talking really loudly about like, <laughs> about it. And they were like, oh, uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then um, and then my friend, I don't know how it happened. My friend said, uh, you don't want to get her across. She's an influencer. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. And she said, she's got 40K. And they went, no, no, you don't. Oh, my God. Let me look. Let me look. And then they looked at my Instagram and they're like, oh, my God, you're a tattooist. Here, here. How much for a sleeve? No way. And I, we fucking died. It was like I nearly fell off my chair. <laughs> I absolutely, I nearly weed in the street because I laughed so much. And by this point, I'm like five pina coladas in, so it's yeah. a lot funnier. I even put a drunk story up on our on our page. About it. Did Did you tell him how much it cost or no? <laughs> <laughs> I just was laughing so much, and he just looked a bit bewildered. Yeah. 
Oh, but it was good. But Elvis was so cross about, I think, about my yeah. return to work that when I got home, I had like a half hour window before being, having to go back out again. And I walked into my living room and he has climbed the curtains and ripped down the living room wall. Not just the curtain or the curtain pole, but the fucking wall. He's a big cat. When did he last piss around on the curtains? Because my cat stopped doing that after like six weeks. We had them I, like that. Well, the cur- the curtains that I have, I got these um, curtains with like a few months ago and they're like this, the sort of 70s material. And I think it feels nice on his claws. So he likes to scratch them. Oh, what, he's just tugging it from the bottom rather than climbing up them? Yeah, he just got his claws right. stuck, I imagine, because that happens quite a lot. And I wasn't here to go, Elvis, you fucker. Um, and it just pulled the wall down. And then I would have liked to have seen what happened. I bet he absolutely pooed himself. And now he's just sitting here next to me. Yeah. Quite happy, purring away. Of course he is. Uh, just you said yep. that. Uh, Moon's just come in and started, started, started yelling. Hello, Moon. Oh, we had we had a nice little... A video called on Friday night. What was Friday that I forgot? My birthday. Yeah, and you turned 47. Yeah, 38. Oh, and then I remembered at like nine o'clock at night. So then we had a video call where we were basically just looking at each other's cats. Yeah, and I got, I, I went and had a kick around with my brother and my friend Gareth and their sons because we, we couldn't get in a pub. Um, so we just went and had a couple of cans in the field and nice. I managed to get sunburnt cheeks. <laughs> been the 17 minutes <laughs> the butties um, <laughs> in, the, in the 17 minutes i spent outside so, so that was nice and you posted a picture of me cooling my cheeks with a with a t- with a tin of beer oh yeah i forgot about that I'm, i'll have to repost that tomorrow so everyone listening can see again if you missed it yeah that was yes. a really nice image wasn't it yeah you look like you're enjoying Sexy. it way too much yeah like, oh that feels nice <laughs> Um, we'd better be quick because this one's long, isn't it? It is long, yeah. Because Lau's the bollocks and talks for ages, and and I don't. I think I could listen to him forever and not get bored. Yeah, so many I, stories. When I was listening back to it um, yesterday, I just enjoyed it so much, and um, my made my daughter listen as well, and she was well into it. And um, I'd like to say as well that we've renamed Lau Hardy and our fa- our new name for him. It's lol harder, so that's what he shall be known as. Sorry, Lal, but now you're lol harder. And there's a bit in there where it's going it's going to be in part two. And um, uh, we're not doing part two. Oh, we're not. We're doing it all one. Dad, do it all in one. Oh, cool. <clears throat> um, it's just oh, going to be a long one. A long one. Okay. Yeah. Well, oui. later on in the episode, there's a part where a bit where we're talking about. A bereavement and mental health mm. and <laughs> it brought back it reminded me that we both had a little tear mm. when we were talking to Lyle because it's it's pretty intense isn't it? it is um and but isn't Lyle he's so eloquent in his speech he mm. has he just has a way of putting things doesn't he yeah. so it's it's such a great listen it really is and he's it, it, just like how the knowledge that he's got of everything, like when he says, m- most people they say like, "Oh yeah," and then and then Jeff came in, but Lal will go, 
someone came in, here's their full name and surname, where they work now, where they used to work and how they're friends with someone else you mentioned earlier and it gives you that whole picture. Yeah. it's that, That's a gift of, of any orator. It's yeah. One, what, just wonderful to listen to him, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. All his stories. And I've booked now to get tattooed by him. So you're going to go down at the end of May uh, to get tattooed. So very much looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks, Lal. Lol. Thanks, Lol. Mm. Lol. Lol. Uh, just before we get on to Lal, thank you to everyone who signed up to the Patreon. I can say that now. There's two of you. <laughs> but thank you. It means the world to us. Thank you so much, and thanks for everyone who who shares it and likes it and and all that sort of stuff. We 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 love you. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Thank you. And we're going to be uh, recording some exclusive pates content tomorrow yes if you want to get on that flex get on it um no one will probably want to hear it though to be fair so but don't let that stop you <laughs> please uh, give us money shall we shall we crack on with the episode like i said it is a bit of a long one so uh there there is no filler in it though it is it is all killer this is how much for a sleeve episode 11 with lal hardy how much for a string? This week we have the amazing Lau Hardy. Thank you so much. We are so honoured to have you on. No, it's all right. No problem. It's so nice to have the opportunity to hopefully chat a bit about like the British history side when we have and um, we've gone through like New York history and hopefully got some LA tattoo history coming up. So let's just take it back to the start, really. How and when did you start tattooing? Well, I've, I've said this a few times, but my, my basic interest started, I think, when I was about 14 or 15. Um, there was a Teddy Boy revival, rock and roll revival in London. So uh, at that time, I was really into that music. So I was seeing tattoos everywhere there. And then I went into a pub in a place called Wood Green. There was a business card on the table for a tattoo artist whose name was Dave Cash. His real name was Dave Kent. He was an Australian guy, but he lived in in London. Um, I was friends with a guy called Tony G, who, funny enough, had been an amateur tattooist as well. And the mad thing about that is it transpires. He actually lived in the house that my dad lived in after my dad moved out. It was just a little mad, mad thing that I got a supply catalogue off of him. And I looked at the address on it and it was like, well, that's the same as on my dad's army documents, you know. So <laughs> that was quite interesting. So Tony, Tony G and a few other kids that I was at school with actually had tattoos at school. So they were cooler than cool, you know. <laughs> and he, uh, I'd gone with him to Ben Gunn's tattoo studio. Ben Gunn was an English tattooist who worked in a place called Chingford. Um, it was really interesting that when you went to Ben's, he worked out of his house. So you had to wait at a bus stop across the road. And there used to be a little sign on the bus stop where, where the timetable was that said, uh, please keep this bus stop tidy, you know. So people used to go and queue up at the bus stop and I always laugh just thinking the drivers must have just been driving their buses and thinking, God, look at the size of this queue. And then nobody got on the bus. But the reason, the reason was at 11 o'clock, Ben would open his front door and the first 10 people that could get across the road got into Ben's to get tattooed. Um, and uh, a friend of mine tells a story about a kid who, who got hit by a car running across the road. He said he wasn't hurt, 
you know, but that's the kind of manic thing it was. And when you think this is in 1976 and he was tattooing five days a week, 10 people a day, that's 50 people a week, plus two appointments on Saturdays, using the same needles and colours on everyone, because that's how, <laughs> I mean, it sounds, you know, it sounds so primitive now, but yeah. this is a connection that myself and lots of people of my age and older have got with the old time tattooists. I mean, hygiene was was virtually non-existent, you know. But getting back to Dave Cash's, it's a date I'll never forget, February the 8th, 1976. Uh, dressed up in all my teddy boy suit, walking along like I thought I was the dog's bollocks, got <laughs> in there. Picked this design off the wall, which... It was a panther with a dagger behind it, panther's head with a dagger behind it, four pounds back then. You know, it was only oh, 21, I was only 21 pounds a week, so it was four pounds. But I can remember I started getting it done. I, first of all, I, I changed my mind. I was oh, you know, no, 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 I don't think I want to get it done. And my mate was just egging me on. And then I said, okay. And then Cash said, are you 18? And I went, no. And my mate just said, I'm his brother, I'll sign to say he's 18. So that was the There was no going back. I, I did <laughs> want it really. It was just the back then, I mean, nobody's worried about getting a tattoo now because you see everyone from grannies to just absolutely everyone's got them. There's no fear of the pain. But years ago, loads of people would use this thing and say, Oh, you're gonna die. It's really, really painful. So everyone was really apprehensive and nervous on going into the shop. Anyway, Cash started tattooing me and, oh, my God, I thought I was going to pass out. I started to go have a whitey. Luckily, I didn't pass out. But that was an interesting thing because the way that he dealt with the situation and got me through it, when I started tattooing, we used to get a lot of people that we called it whiting out, that we would be able to help, you know. But anyway, I got this tattoo done and uh, – I can remember I had it on the top of my arm because I worked in an office at the time for the National Coal Board and you had to wear a suit to work and be smart. And really that tattoo then just changed my life. I didn't want to work in an office anymore. I just wanted to be getting more tattoos and it kind of led on to getting some secondhand stuff. And then the first kit I got was from a company called Ultra. Ultra were based in Bradford in uh, Yorkshire. Yeah. really poor quality tattooing equipment but it was a inroad into it and it's quite funny because uh jimmy scusi who's the grandson of les scusi very famous bristol tattoo artist he publishes a few books on uh tattoo history and that and between the two of us we're actually putting a, a limited run book together at the moment which is going to be the history of ultra tattooing because wow most, most of i i i would think that very very few of the younger generation would have heard of ultra because now you can just go online there's so many big suppliers and that but a lot of people from my generation started with ultra that was our in and much as the stuff was rubbish if it hadn't have been for them our journey probably might never have started you know so it's yeah. important to document that little bit of history of british tattooing my boyfriend's dad he tattooed in the 70s and um he used to get stuff from ultra and we got a load of flash in the shop and i've touched on it before with other other interviews but this flash is just it comes and you color it in yourself and it's all really shit and like we really messed up like willies coming out of eggs and stuff like that but um ronnie star used to be a rep for ultra didn't he ronnie star great guy great sense of humor his real name's ronnie gibbons 
<laughs> and he, yeah, Ron, Ronnie, I think, made stuff for them. Uh, the interesting thing with Ultra stuff is it's, it's highly collectible now. I mean, uh, one of their machines just went for like £800 on uh, eBay. Wow. And we used to bin them, <laughs> you know, so. Oh, my God. <laughs> there, there'll be a lot of people that are thinking, God, their machines are thrown away, which is one of the, the crazy things about the tattoo world, how certain items and collectibles are so sought after now. Yeah, it's mad. Well, we've got we've got like a wedge of flash from him. And um, God, he must have all sorts of stuff. It's all in the attic. But we had a like a bag of his machines that he'd made and loads of like really crude um uh, tips and that made out of pipes and yeah, just this bag of tattoo history. Well, you know, they, they, they used to say, is it necessity is the mother of invention or something? And a lot of the old time tattooists used to work out how to adapt things, you know, right from the sort of doorbells being adapted to make tattoo machines. But that's exactly it. That's what these are made out of doorbells. Yeah. I mean, it's just that, that is incredible. And the thing is, with the tattoo world now, there is to a degree a very throwaway society within the tattoo world i mean i know people that i have had working at my shop that have bought a machine and a spring snapped and then they thought they've got to throw the machine away and it's like no no and that's it i mean i, I put up a few little videos uh, just showing how to make needles by hand how to how to how to tie them and solder them how to put them on a bar used in a candle and that you know and i think that it's important that we, even if we don't necessarily use all these things, we keep them alive, you yeah. know, so that, that that kind of almost folk art is, is kept with it. And, you know, youngsters, I don't say that in a patronising way, but young people within the business, you can learn about machines. I mean, there's a lot of young machine builders now, but there's also a lot of people who truly don't know how to tune a machine because it's so easy to just buy a new one. Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose it's the same with so many things that so many techniques that we've lost through history, whether it's weaving or, you know, different crafts and making your clothes and darning your socks. I guess unless you, as a tattooist, unless you learn from somebody who knows how to do all that and then teaches you, you're not going to know. And that's how it gets lost, doesn't it? There's, it's there's like yeah. a stop. So it would be such a shame for that knowledge to stop completely or just die out i suppose i mean i will say it's it for me it's important to keep the things alive but making needles was a real pain in the ass so thank goodness <laughs> that you can buy ready-made ones to be honest <laughs> yeah i love the smell of flux up my nose in the morning that was uh, how it used to be in fact at, at, at our shop when there was myself a guy called adam collins and another guy martin clark we we had a mad period of time at our shop. It was such good fun. You know, we were all into the sort of music scene and running around and going crazy and just, uh, but we all used to make our own needles, but Adam had a good discipline. He would make a big batch of them, you know? And then if I'd had a late night or that and felt a bit like tired in the morning, I'd always nick some. So I'm making that confection <laughs> here. Adam, it was me that took the needles. <laughs> you're like thank you I can start tattooing now <laughs> oh that's so funny I can't imagine like having to make them 
if there was if there was one invention from modern day tattooing, whether it was um like hand like pre-made needles or a photocopier or a thermal copier, if you could have that through your whole career, what would it have been or what would it be? Okay, so you know, we used to call them game changers in in tattooing you know this would this would be a game changer and i can remember a tattoo artist called terry dino or terry dean as you know he had a shop in the uxbridge road uh, he now has a tattoo studio in western supermare um terry came years ago and said to me this is a stencil maker a thermothax machine you know it was for overhead projectors in schools anyway he said without one of these you'll become a dinosaur and that was the first time i'd seen a stencil making machine and we had a supply company at the time myself and a couple of other guys we set up a little supply company and we managed to buy these and get them in and i'm telling you for from terry telling me that that is one of the most revolutionary items that any tattoo studio had you know i mean i I did a little lecture or chat in Australia to a group of tattoo artists talking about the old days. And I said to them, and I, I sat on this podcast now for any tattoo artist who, who's sat there listening. If you visualize yourself being in your studio and then you go back to when I first started, which was around about 78, 79, we'll start to take the things out of your studio that we didn't have. So your internet's gone, Instagram's gone, Facebook's gone, this podcast's gone. Um, <laughs> you've got hectographic ink or hectographic pencils or maybe acetates. You've got no stencil machine. You've got no Photoshop, no Procreate, no iPad. You've got no, <laughs> you know, no music on your phone. It's just, it's just mad. So I would say the photocopier in conjunction with the stencil makers are really, really important you know, invention within the tattoo world. And from that, we have to say that even the humble rubber band <laughs> was an important invention or important discovery within the tattoo world. Because I've got some machines where the nipple on the top of the armature bar has got a thread and the people used to screw a little screw to hold the needle bar in. Or some of them used to have a block of rubber that they pushed the bar into. So, you know, grommets, uh, all the little things that came together yeah. Um, you know, definitely steps along the way. But I would say for me, the, the photocopy in conjunction with a stencil maker is really, really important, you know. And stainless yeah. steel needles over carbon ones, you know. No, you don't we used to get what we call black tip on the needles, where if you touch the ends of them, they would corrode in that. So stainless steel needles definitely were easier to sterilize and easier to work with if the needle was corroding did that mean it it would corrode after a certain length of time or well there were all you know we use different sorts of needles in in britain there was a company called uh Entaco, which was based in the midlands and there were different companies john james millward they were all part of the british needle industries and you know when you go back when people talk about bug pins that's actually what they were entomology pins for pinning butterflies and insects to uh to balls <laughs> and somebody found out you could use them the the needles different needles would um last in different ways it's, it's really hard to explain without them in front of you but sometimes if you touch the tips of them the moisture in your fingers could make them corrode i mean we used to keep needles in we'd have a jar 
a, a jar with a rubber seal on it. You know, the ones that have got a rubber seal, you clip them down, they've got a clip on it. We'd fill that to the top with rice and then put our <laughs> needles, our packets of needles in there, hoping that any moisture that was in the air was actually taken up by the rice. Or we'd keep them in liquid paraffin or even in test tubes full of talcum powder. I mean, these are all things that now we don't have to worry about, which yeah. is a great advancement for tattooing. I mean, when we talk about the old days, it's very easy to put them old rose-tinted spectacles on and think it was better then. Well, it's tattooing probably is at the best it's ever been customer-wise, hygiene-wise, artistically-wise, although it was a, a fantastic journey to go through. Um, you know, for some of you guys, you got it really easy. <laughs> <laughs> I know and I think about people who are starting to tattoo now and they've never had to hand draw their own stencils like when we got a thermocopia oh my god that was the best day of my tattoo career I think it was so nice just cut that time in half and but yeah for people who've just had it from the start like and you know I've not even been tattooing that long I'd like six seven years but yeah mad but I suppose like when you're in it you don't really you don't know it's just you just get on with it and do it in the 80s and do you know there's an amazing video of huck spaulding who um he had a, a, a supply company called spaulding and rogers um in Burysville in in america there's a video going around of him cutting an acetate stencil a full back piece that he puts on the guy's back i mean acetate stencils uh, for people that don't know you used to sort of cut grooves into the acetate in the shape of the design rub charcoal into it blow it off and then put vaseline onto the skin press the the acetate onto the skin peel it off so you had the sort of in the vaseline a charcoal line to follow and the skill that some of those old boys could do that's why they started at the bottom and worked up i mean now we've got stencils that you can't even get them off of a blowtorch but for those guys that and I've, I've still got a stencil on my leg from 2015, I think. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> God, that must have come off so easily. You must have just had to work quick as hell, just be so careful not to, to rub it off. Yeah, I mean, one of the old boys that I knew, he, he said that he used to just try and do an outline from start to finish without wiping, you know, and then he'd wipe it and then have to go back in and redo what was it. Now, I mean... That's one of the things with a lot of the old school stuff when people say, oh, look at the shape of that. But we've got to think, you know, the, the people didn't have the access to all the reference material that we've got now. I mean, look, we can go on Pinterest and find anything automatically, can't we? It's amazing, really. And yeah. for the customers, the period that we're in makes what they're getting so much better for them. You know, although there's I look at people might say you've got a load of old crap on you, but they've all got great memories. And it was interesting because we used to watch the tattooists that were putting them on to see any little information you could glean from them. I mean, you'd never walk into a tattoo shop back in the day and just say, hi, I'd like to be a tattoo artist. <laughs> you had to be a sneaky little bugger, you know. <laughs> um, do you have any have you got like dots and, and lines and stuff where you've been testing needles on yourself? Um, I think all the people from my generation have got little bits and pieces that they they tried on themselves, you know, definitely. Um, because even colours, I mean, we used to be able to get codes for colours, right? Because, for, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows, but if they don't, ta tattoo colours weren't made for tattooing. 
they were just powder pigments. And there was there's a great shop called um, Corneliuson's in London. It used to be in Covent Garden. It's in just off New Oxford Street now. For anyone who's in London, go and visit this shop because the, the this is a shop where George Birchett and Cash Cooper and people like that used to pick up pigment. If they knew what colours were safe, they, they, they'd find that by testing them on themselves. But this shop is so fantastic because it's still got all the original old jars, the old cabinets and everything. It's like walking back into wow. another world. And I remember a tattoo artist had said to me, you can get three different colours. You can get brown, green and yellow from Corneliuson's. And I went and I can just remember these old guys that used to wear sort of what looked like lab coats and they'd get these jars and a little scoop and put it into a brown paper bag for you and weigh it. And you just bought it by weight and then mixed it up yourself. You know, we use Listerine or, or vodka. Um, so, that you know, the, the colours and everything back then, we'd get the codes and we'd order them as an art company because the companies wouldn't sell them to you if they knew that you were a tattoo artist. (laughs) And of course, one of the funny things is we tested all of those on ourselves. Now we've got tattooing pigments that are FDA approved, EU approved. And now it looks like they want to start banning some of the pigments, you know? I mean, tattooing, tattooing has never had to face what it's facing at the moment, which is really interesting, you know? There's so many different things happening within it with, um, as we say, the pigments, with the the lockdown, coronavirus. We, you know, it's been very uncertain times. And for a lot of the young people in there, I keep saying to them, this has been a, be a really good life lesson for the future. You know, hopefully something will come out of this that is a benefit for the future generations. And, you know, and if people have a long career like I have, 40 years plus, and that they'll look back at these times and they'll be able to deal with what comes along. Yeah. Yeah. You're really right in that. And with with the pigments, I always hear people say, Oh, if you had red, that would make you feel a bit shitty for a while. And is there any truth to that? No, but red, it was, and still is one of the, the most problematic colors. If you get a problem with a, with a color, it's normally magenta or red. For me, in the early days, the biggest problem with colours was mixing them up yourself because you used to mix your colours, as we say. So a lot of these powders are very light, so they sort of float up. So your nostrils will get full of colour. Or if you spilt some some colour, it would go everywhere, the powder, trying to clean it up. And uh, there was a tattoo convention in America where somebody gave a tattoo artist, who was a bit of a ladies' man, this box with a big ribbon and he opened it and it was a spring-loaded box of color green pigment that flew out (laughs) everywhere Uh, the cleanup operation for it was was apparently quite expensive because of the carpets there and that you know but yeah tattoo pigments back in the day trying to mix and you'd get your mum's blender you know (laughs) put put your powder in there put the lid on because you you needed the granules in it to be broken up sometimes you get a mortar and pestle grind it down yourself and it's funny because when you see the twist top bottles now back in the day we used to have like they're called oil spout bottles that we put our colors in you clip the top off and your granny if she wore curlers would put these little uh plastic rod things with a uh, that that you could then put in the top of the bottle as a stopper for it you know (laughs) um 
I mean, Ben Gunn, going back to Ben Gunn, when I got tattooed at his shop, he had these little um, porcelain pots with the colour already in them. And he they stacked on top of each other and he'd just stack them all out, squirt a little bit of Listerine into them. And he had a, a rotary machine just with a bent needle bar on it that worked as a little stirrer. You know, you can buy colour mixing ones now, but they'd mix the colour up there and then. And I was re- revisiting a book the other day by a little booklet George Birchett did called How to Tattoo by Hand or Electricity. And wow. in that, they talk about mixing up your pigments, but telling you to mix them by the day and not to leave water in them, you know, just make enough for the day because the water would sour and make the healing of the tattoo bad, you know. So the fact that we can just buy thousands of different colours now from companies, it's, it's just amazing, really. But just thinking back, you know, I was speaking to a lady called Dot Shaw. Um, she's from Blackpool and tattooed under the name of Dorothy Haywood with a guy called Prince Eugene, Eugene Lawrence. He was actually a nice little interesting story here. He was a, a Jamaican uh, immigrant who came to Britain in 1952. And this tattooist, um, Rex Stoker, took him under his wing and taught him how to tattoo so he became britain's first actual black tattoo artist in 1954 working in blackpool but the only colors that they had at the studio in those days were black red and that's what they were done and a little bit of green if people had more money so there's a real i call it the blackpool style it's just amazing how that you could use black and red to create such striking tattoos you know and if anyone if anyone looks, so I was going to say, if you look on um, Instagram, Dot Shaw, is, Dot is, is in her late 70s now. She's still painting Flash, which is amazing. She's kind of been rediscovered. And there's another really, really interesting page on Instagram called Scottish Tattoo History. It's a guy called Terry Manton, which for anyone who wants to see how a historian really reports history, it's not just about Scottish tattooing history. That's how it started. But his page is absolutely fascinating for the old time guys. Because um, Dot Shaw, her flash is still primarily, well, when you look back at it, it's black and red, isn't it? The designs yeah, are all black and red. That's the only colours they had, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm just writing down Scottish tattoo. I'm sure I'll follow it anyway, but just, just to make sure. God. Do you think, could you have ever envisaged that um, tattooing would be so mainstream and so accessible? now um you know it's a really interesting thing because the other day i was watching an advert on telly i think it was for cat food and there's a guy with a looks like a half a mandela tattooed on his face and his cheek and i was thinking back when mtv first came out they came to my shop and they wanted me to paint a tattoo onto a guy and make it look like i tattooed the mtv logo on him but when it came to the final part of it, they actually said, oh, can, we're going to do it with just drawing it on with felt-tip pens. They didn't even let a tattoo machine be shown because they said it might encourage people to get tattoos. And I think it was a guy called Steve Blaine. Blaine was the was the guy that I drew the tattoo on. Um, so I never thought it would get to this point. But when I first started, you know, I know I'm an old bugger, but we didn't have the internet. We didn't have satellite TV. So you know the the fact that you'd think there'd be a tv series or tv series featuring tattooing is mad you know it's just it's opened up to everyone and i put a thing 
on this site that I run called Knights of the Round Shader. It's like a tattoo history site, just saying that I'd seen this advert and how tattooing has become almost the darling of the advertising industry. You know, everyone's got a tattoo on every advert. It makes me wonder where we go from here, because in the punk rock days, everyone sort of looked at punks with a bit of suspicion or, you know, look at these freaks and that. And then gradually it started to come more into the mainstream. It was used in advertising, you know, people like Matt Belgrano with his big red Mohican and that. They they were everywhere. And now there is actually nothing edgy about punk anymore. And maybe tattooing's going to go that way. And maybe, I don't know, maybe less people are going to want to get it done in future generations because their parents had so much done or maybe it's going to go to absolutely stellar levels that we could never imagine you know i mean humans the way that we progress with everything maybe they are going to be able to do metallic colors maybe they're going to be be able to do tattoos that you can just take off after a period of time i mean you know when you think about it you might have your whole arm blacked out because that's what you want to do now in the future they might have a kind of laser that is gone and then you can go get a japanese sleeve get a bit fed up with that i'm going to get an old school one you know i mean it's, it's just gonna it's i mean it's just going to be interesting to see where tattooing goes and as a result of putting this post up on that site, one of the things that i recall is many years ago i used to correspond with uh, ed hardy a lot and to me he was really and still is the, the godfather of modern tattooing i mean just the fact that he set up tattoo time magazine he was part responsible for one of the first ever massive tattoo expos all the books he did with hardy publishing and that but i can remember him saying to me that he had sacks of mail that were coming to him because in then there were no emails it was actually handwritten letters and it was all new so many things were happening so fast in the 1980s and he said I feel all of us that are trying to push this forward are creating a monster that's going out of control. And, you know, back then, that's what it seemed like. And a lot of us also used to say, oh, tattooing's bubble's going to burst. Well, the bubble just seems to have got bigger and bigger. Maybe it isn't going to burst. Maybe, <laughs> all, maybe it's just a, a malleable thing that changes, you know. And yeah. as new generations come along, it will change, you know. Yeah, well, long may it continue. And um, I guess, you know, and when I've been tattooing for years, I'll look back at 2021 and go, God, I can't believe we coped like that. We were really slumming it. <laughs> well, you, one, of the, one of the things that I think people have to realise that is changing now and, and as a result of COVID, there's many things that governments and companies will have, will have looked at very closely you know, we're moving towards a cashless society or that's what they would like us to have, you know. So yeah, all you people now, save your money. You know, the days of, of cash are, are changing and you need to look to your own futures. If, for, for any young tattoo artist, if you get a chance to be able to buy your property, do it. I, I was told by an old-time tattooist, Lionel Titchener, who runs the Tattoo Club of Great Britain, when I first started, my landlord wanted to sell the building where my shop was. And he said, if you can get a mortgage on that, if you can do it, go for it. He said, it might seem like an immense burden to you now or, or a prospect that's just like, wow, you've got to deal with. 
and I did. I managed to get a mortgage on it and bought the shop. And I can tell you, you know, it's the best thing I ever did. So if you get a chance and you've got that in you to to want to do that, go for it. Yeah, that's good advice. When you found when you started New Wave, was it difficult for you to find premises? I'll quickly tell you the story about how New Wave came along was that I I don't think I really wanted a tattoo studio because <laughs> I was a kitchen wizard. I was tattooing out my kitchen, right? I used to go to work in the morning as a dustman on the council, which people might think, well, that's a strange job, but it was fine for me. It was a really early start. But I was always finished by 12 o'clock. You know, I started off working at the National Coal Board in an office then I started to do a city and guilds in interior design and decorating and then I'm looking at all my mates who were dustmen same age as me they were driving around in old jags and now I'm still getting the bus they're enjoying <laughs> a great life I'm on an apprentice's wages so I just thought I want to get on the council so I managed to get onto the council and then in the afternoon I would just tattoo you know but there was a big psychiatric hospital near my near my premises where I lived and right at the top of it was a mortuary it was a victorian hospital and i'd worked there as well so at one point so these lads i knew they knew where the mortuary was because i took them and showed it to them so they thought that they would get a dead body as a joke and leave it on on my doorstep with a note saying <laughs> saying to umi right different times <laughs> mate really different times anyway they they managed to get a coffin but but not the or the lid of a coffin, but not the uh, body because they were disturbed. So they just threw this <laughs> coffin lid into the garden of the house. But what they didn't realise was the people that own the house, they own my house and the one next door, they're a lovely Italian family, devout Catholic family. And they had a little boy who was dying of cancer. And when they saw that there was, a you know, this symbol of death outside the the house they were just like they said to me you've got to go i mean oh they put God. up with they put up with so much of me being there honestly one guy nearly fell out the window and i was tattooing him it's mad i'll tell you a quick story where i tattooed in the kitchen there was a <laughs> railway line at the bottom of the garden and um we we were three floors up and I thought I, maybe if I position the chair, people could look out the window, I'll tap them at an angle. And then if they see the trains coming past or they something to look at, you know. <laughs> anyway, this guy threw a white, he went forward and nearly went out the window, three floors up. I just managed to get him. So there was there was always people knocking at all hours, day and night. And there were steps leading up to the house, a big lot of steps. And some Saturdays from top to bottom would be people queuing up there. You've got to think this is in a residential street. But the, the coffin incident was just too much. And they told me that I had to had to get out, you know. So back then, you would never or rarely be able to get a, a, a premises on a main road. And I mean, Muswell Hill. It was a bit snobby and that, and I, I just couldn't find anywhere. And I'd sort of given up. And then somebody said to me, oh, there's this old guy called Geeta. He, he's got an old grocery shop. He's looking to rent it out. So I went to see this guy and my shop is tucked away. Anyone who's been there tell you there's no train station there. There's no bus that stops there. It's a bit of a walk. People think London, probably they visualise it all being like Piccadilly Circus, you know, but this is a quiet little part where I am. <laughs> anyway this this shop was next to an ice cream factory 
Um, and there were quite a few little shops dotted around back streets back then. Do you know what I mean? The, but the big supermarkets have killed that. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, this guy, he said to me, if you want to rent a shop, you can rent a shop. So I did. Um, it was, you know, I had to change it around a little bit. But I've just been in the same place all my life there, you know. And it was interesting. I put a picture of it on a history site of the local area and somebody said, oh, yeah, that used to be um, a shop with an illegal gambling den above it. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I did put a thing up to see if anyone had any photos of it from before I had it when it was an old grocer's, you know, but not managed to get any pictures of it. So it was just through word of mouth that I got that shot. Just so yeah. something you, you mentioned there, um sort of about attitudes earlier on did you get any pushback from local people because you were opening a tattooist in their residential area um not really i mean that muswell hill itself the top end of it where all the posh shops are you know there's a lot of celebs and musicians and that yeah old dennis you know he was up there um and the bottom end of it, which is called sort of South Brian and that, it's a lot of community housing and council housing and that. So there were loads of sort of big families around there at the time and that. But, it, you know, listen, I, I'd get on with everyone. So I just used to chat with them. Nobody, it, it was actually a place where people come and hung out, you know. Sometimes we'd stick the couches out the front on the drive and people come and sit with us. We used to get... We used to do mad jam sessions, like all my mates that are musicians and that. We'd all get into the into the shop and set up amps and things and just do impromptu things. I mean, I'm sure loads of people just viewed it as a total madhouse, you know. Because in conjunction with two pubs that used to be around there that are gone now, we used to used to um, put on gigs and barbecues and things. So we were part of the community, and and to, to be fair. Like with the local school, we managed to, for their fates, we managed to get um, Dwayne Lazeo as one of the gladiators to open yeah. the, the school for them. And, uh, you know, we've done fundraising for them and charity stuff. So we wanted to be part of the community, you know, cool. rather than just. That's, yeah, that, that's that sort of stuff that matters so much when you've got this. You know, a lot of people will have this perception of what a tattooist or what a tattooist is and then you can just blow yeah. that away by being kind well i tell you there's a little school near us and they wanted to close it down and build this super mega school which was a real long way away two big main roads to get across and uh, i went down to a meeting there and the, i can remember this counselor was just talking bullshit and just basically trying to persuade all the people why they should let the school go and uh, People getting really heated and that. And I kept saying to them, you know, be calm, be calm and listen to what the council has to say, show respect. And then she thought that she'd got an ally in me. And then she said, is there anything you want to say? And I got on the stage. I didn't talk. I went and stood next to her rather than as she was looking at people in the audience. And I just said to her, look at, look at all these people here. These people of all different colours, creeds ethnicities i said this is called the hollywood community this is our community i said and you're standing up here wanting to let developers build on the school you want to rip the heart out of our community and i just remember there was a lovely black lady there she just jumped up she said hallelujah i'm going to chain myself to the bulldozers <laughs> and i said and i you know i worked with some of the other people that i paid to have big banners made because to me it's really important 
you know, my daughter used to go to school there. Um, I tattooed some of the teachers from there. And although that isn't about tattooing, this was that, that decision was based just on the greed of somebody wanting to sell a, a place to developers. But the school got its own uh, uh, independent status in the end, so it's still there. Oh, that's a good that's a good resolution then. Yeah. And when you opened up um, New Wave, were there any of the same like, hygiene regulations from the local authority? Uh, do you know what? This is really funny. Um, I, was, uh, I keep going back to this history site, site run. We were talking about autoclaves in the earliest times. Like when I first started to get towed, I, I'd never seen an autoclave. And then I went to see Dennis Cockle, who had a studio in Finchley Road in, in London prior to the one that he had in Soho. And I became friends with him and he really helped me a lot. And he had this autoclave. I didn't know what it was. I took a girlfriend of mine in there. She was just getting a little tattoo done. I was in the waiting room. I saw him open this machine and take this packet out. And uh, I thought, what's he got there? Has he got a syringe? I banged on the thing. I was like, what? Oh, what's that, mate? You know, I was a bit concerned. And he said, oh, it's a sterilizer. And he showed me. And then when I started tattooing, he told me where to get one. And I sent off to a place uh, in Porton La near Blackpool for this autoclave, which was sent in a massive big box by train down to Euston, like a tea chest size, where I picked it up. Anyway, it turns out they were actual autoclaves from the Vietnam War that this company called Taos had bought over, but they were huge. They were like chrome. They looked a little bit like an old train, you know, but I, <laughs> but I had one of those. So I realised that at the beginning, you did have to sterilise stuff. You know, Dennis really showed me a lot to do with that. And a lot of the old time tattooists were really reluctant to um, go with hygienic things because everyone used to say, oh, nobody's ever caught anything. You know, that was a saying that you used to hear a lot. When the AIDS epidemic, if that's the correct word, and all the scare stories came along with that, the tattoo world had to really sit up and take notice. I mean, apart from the fact that the press were printing so many inaccurate stories and spreading so much rumours, there were lots of stories that tattooing was creating, uh, you know, problem with HIV and AIDS and that. And I can remember myself, a guy called Ian Redding, John Williams from Southampton, uh, Brent from Dunstable. We, we had a group called Tattoo Incorporated and we bought, a load of medical supplies from a company including gloves and I can remember the first time that I wore rubber gloves after doing a tattoo I looked along sort of the palm or the heel of your hand and there was just this blood on the gloves and I just thought Jesus Christ we've been tattooing for years leaning on people with blood and plasma and shit coming out you know and then you would just rinse your hands after so it seems so primitive now as I keep saying that word primitive how it was yeah. but and you're talking like what 40 years ago it's just in, in, incredible you know hy hygiene has come on so much and I guess with with disposables now a lot of people don't need an autoclave um yeah so we're at a good point with hygiene in terms yeah it's just so insane to think that it was so commonplace just to use the same needle all day regardless of how many people you were tattooing use it all week use it all month you know like it would get good after a few days <laughs> but my, my friend told me a story uh 
George Bone, he told me that he was being tattooed by Bill Scusi that used to work in Aldershot. And he said Bill was talking to him, he was working away, and he went to dip his needle into the pot and missed it and hit the hit the bench or that. And he was like, oh, damn, that needle, he'd been, he said that had just got right. Because that's what they used to say. They, they would say that the more you use the needle, the better it became on the points. And he was gutted that this needle that he'd used for ages was no good now. <laughs> That was the way it was. And one of the other funny things was we they used to use a stuff called, um, I can't remember, called uh, ferric chloride, monkey piss. I don't know if you've ever yeah. heard of monkey piss. You know, yeah. which was, uh, it's actually uh, the, the liquid it's, itself, I believe, is used for some kind of engraving. On, but you mixed it with water and then put it on the tattoo and it stung like buggery. And that's why loads of old tattoos used to have yellow fingers because the colour of it was yellow. It used to look as if they had nicotine stains. But it was called blood. <laughs> they called it blood stopper or monkey piss. But I always felt that it made the tattoo scab up a lot more when you had that on you. And it did really sting, like, you know. What was the point of it? To clean it? No, it stopped bleeding. It was a car. Oh. It stopped it straight away. Oh, my so God. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. We want, I once got contacted by a company who um, they did like aftercare and the aftercare was made out of uh, crocodile oil, which is like an oil that came out of the crocodile skin. Mm. And I was grossed out by it and I said no, but I was talking about it. And um, uh, my boyfriend mentioned that they used to use like snake oil. So like a byproduct from, I don't know, snake farming or whatever. And it was a similar theory. It had these healing properties is that have you heard of that well to be honest with you tattooists used to label up their own stuff snake piss snake oil monkey spunk <laughs> like there was just it was just a way of stopping your rival tattooists knowing what you were using and to confuse <laughs> the customers so I haven't heard of snake oil being used but I've actually heard of people having all these different magic potions that were laid yeah. up you know? yeah <laughs> like, not giving away the secrets yeah yeah it's a uh, emu piss it's um it's uh, <laughs> gross grim well i was definitely put off the crocodile oil and i was like ah oh, that's all right i use cocoa butter you're fine <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> we, we were actually myself and naresh bahana and who, who's got flaming eight in kentish town and and George Bone from Hamburg, we were out in um, Borneo and we went to Semagog to see the orangutans. And on the way back, we they, the coach drivers took us to this crocodile farm to have a look at a crocodile farm. We were with these Australian tattooists and I always remember they went in the gift shop and then they came back with some potion, <laughs> some potion that was made of flakes of crocodile skin that they had been assured would had the same effects as Viagra does now. They were, they, were, they were joyous, like a bag of bloody crocodile crisps, you know, I'll never forget that. That was quite funny as well. When we were on that trip in, in Borneo, we um, we stopped at a, a little town with a shopping mall in it and um, we went in there and none of us had shirts on and we were all heavily tattooed and quite hefty sort of guys, you know, or tubby, whatever the word is. And... Um, because the WWE or WWF wrestling, whatever it was, had just been on the telly out there, they actually thought we were all wrestlers. <laughs> so all these, 
all these people were coming and getting their photos done with us, thinking that we were there to do wrestling, but not realizing we're just a load of tattooists who'd gone to a convention. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. How um how have conventions changed from when you first started working them or visiting them to how they are now? Uh it, with conventions, it's really, really interesting because when I first started to go to them, they were the Tattoo Club of Great Britain. They ran conventions, normally in a hotel and mainly for tattooists who would bring guests. The European Tattoo Artists Association, they used to run very small little conventions. Once again, mostly artists with uh, maybe bringing a few guests with them. The, the European ETAA ones were quite interesting because... They would do mad things there, like speed tattooing to see, they'd have tattoos to see how quick they could tattoo a swallow on somebody. Like They'd line them up and, and do that, or how many swallows you could do in a square inch. Some totally mad, mad things. In fact, their emblem was a, a drunken monkey with a tattoo machine in one end and a pint of beer in the other. So they were quite small scale. And Lionel Titchen, who run the TCGB ones, he was trying to upgrade tone if you like to to give it a better sort of uh, public perception so in 1982 i went to the queen mary convention which uh, ed hardy had put on in long beach in america it just absolutely blew my mind apart from the fact it was under queen mary you can't believe how <laughs> those ships are until you get on them yeah, it's nuts, isn't it? <laughs> i mean there was greg irons bob roberts the dutchman candy everett Mike Malone, oh God, Jack Rudy, just, I, I went there, my mind was just totally blown. In England, we've been to little things. We suddenly saw all these artists doing all these different styles, all under one deck or one roof. That was amazing. I came back, my head was just buzzing with it. Then I went out to Amsterdam, uh, Hanky Panky had, had put on a convention. That was just great. I mean, Amsterdam's a mad place anyway. I then went to uh, the first ever Zurich convention, which I think was about 85, 84, 85. Um, and Felix and Philip Lou were there amongst other people. So we started to build up these network of people that we were meeting or that was meeting from other countries. <laughs> then with a group of guys, I got together and we hired the Hammersmith Palais in London and we put on the first London Tattoo Expo. And it was just... We didn't know whether it would take off or not, you know, and it was unbelievable how many people turned up. Wow. From there, they told us that the Hammersmith Palais was going to be closed down. So we looked for a new venue and a guy called Brent Eggleton, who tattooed in Dunstable, got us a place called the Queensway Hall. It's a purpose-built council. Loads of famous bands have played there, bars in it, restaurants, car parking. I mean, Dunstable's about 40 miles outside of London. It was a big gamble about whether it would take off. The Dunstable shows, I think they ran, I don't know, for maybe 12, 15 years. I think I was involved in 10 of them. And if you speak to anyone of my generation or maybe even a little bit younger who attended Dunstable, they say they're the seminal change in tattoo conventions. They really put it on the on the map the interesting thing about the conventions were and once again i keep saying i don't want to sound like an old fogey in that but you know we we accept the lgbt movement now how strong they are 
But Dunsmore was one of the few places where the gay community could actually be safe in an environment. I mean, you know, people like Mr. Sebastian who tattooed in London, he was a regular there, such a great guy. And it, it, so many things happened in that sort of decade of conventions. It was just amazing, really. I mean, from people who used to cut holes in their clothes to show their tattoos, which was a big thing, to the, to the first ever colour copied sheets of designs I'd seen for sale there, to new artists coming along with different styles. I mean, the internet has made the world the smallest it's ever been in terms of being able to access everything. But you have to think back then, everything was done either by telephone, landline, or by writing letters and sending flyers and sending photos. So Dunstable Convention was just, I'm so proud to have been part of that. In fact, for everything I've ever done in, in my tattoo career, I think that is the thing that I'm happiest that I was ever involved with. Um, it was a game changer. And then we saw conventions get to the point of the the london convention how magnificent mickey and marcus his job was and then look what's happened coronavirus has come yeah. along marcus has passed away mickey's not going to do the london convention anymore so maybe we're going to find a return to some smaller conventions much more intimate type conventions um Hopefully, though, I mean, I love Bristol, I love Brighton Convention, so hopefully that, you know, there'll be like the Tattoo Phoenixes rising from the ashes and we can all get to them. Um, and on international conventions, I mean, I was just lucky to go to the first ever Tokyo Convention, the first wow. Tahiti Convention, um, first Borneo ones, because I used them as an excuse to be able to sort of leave the country and go to them, you know. And the first New York one after tattooing was was made legal again in New York to, to have attended these events and to have seen them. I mean, Tahiti for me was the, the, the most fantastic place I've ever been. Um, I mean, the convention was also to honor Paolo Suluape, who'd been sadly killed by his wife in, a, in an incident. Um, but to see all the different Polynesian peoples and the different cultures and different islands and then to be able to travel to some of the other islands and to be tattooed out there i mean i love getting tattooed in other countries especially traditional methods you know yeah i've been to, been to japan a few times uh been to the medical facility in in tokyo to see all the the skins you know the dr Pokushi who had all these preserved human skins to to be tattooed by horioshi and hori ken and wow be really looked after by these people has been absolutely fantastic you know i mean i i tell everyone that i'm not religious but if when i leave this mortal coil i find there is a god or goddess or deity of some sort i'm gonna really shake their hands and say thank you so much for letting me have had this life because truly it's I, I kind of just feel humbled and very lucky that I became a tattoo artist and and I've enjoyed everything it's given to me, you know. Oh, that's so that's so lovely to hear. And especially when it's so common for people who've been in the industry for a long time to sort of get a bit grumpy with it, you know, like sick of everyone's shit, sick of the customers. <laughs> so it's 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 so nice to hear. You know, the, the, I always say to people, the funny thing about a tattoo studio is um 
that's that's why we haven't got a really good prime minister because all the good prime ministers are too busy tattooing you know <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> when when we're within our own studios we we become the father confessor the agony aunt the jester the ruler you know we're we're everything within our own shop and we can and, and i've done it myself sometimes we can get a bit carried away of our own self-importance because as my old mate jeff baker used to say we just make pictures on people which we don't we do more than that but and the internet i, I noticed in lockdown there are a lot of people really voicing some crazy crazy things so some people were coming out with some really valid and interesting points but there are others that were getting really bent out of shape and you know social media it, it's an amazing thing and it's also a very divisive thing and i'm not sure how i how i really view it i mean i'm seeing people get called out for saying things that are actually genuinely true by people who i don't you know if you were in a room together talking you'd never talk to each other like that it's because there's the a screen to protect you from from the other person um you know with social media when you see the facebook took down i, I suddenly found my my facebook page had gone i thought where's you know where's that gone and then i went onto twitter and put facebook down and loads of people were saying we've had our pages taken down and it's because the word skinhead was on the page but they'd even taken down the pages of reggae singers um you know the of of anyone that they considered to be a skinner because they thought that it was a white power movement they didn't understand any of it they had to reinstate everyone's sites back up because they use algorithms and bots and that to do yeah. things and i mean one of the in my studio i don't do swastikas of any sort you know i just don't do them um it's just my my personal choice but now people i know that do sort of like hindu uh, uh, or within the patterns on Japanese robes and that, found that pictures they put up are being taken down because, you know, bots are, are actually not being able to identify with that which is which is wrong and that which is, like, historical. Um, and, you, you know, we've seen Facebook, the incidents with uh, Australia recently, the fact Twitter could take down... Um, Donald Trump's thing, it just, just makes you think the power that they've got. And we, although we think we're a massive industry and that really, who's to say where it goes with it, you know? And we're so reliant on social media now, aren't we? That, oh, yeah. That is the thing. It's, you know, look at this podcast. We're going to be putting that on there. But... I know. That's it. I think 95% of my work comes from Instagram now because I just started in the era of Instagram when it was just sort of, getting really popular to find a tattooist on Instagram. And the same as so many tattooists, they that's how they work. They only use Instagram. What if that was taken away? Fuck. I'm glad well, I learned I, to tattoo everything. Like I can still go back to working in a street shop. To be honest with you, I said to a lot of people with regard to social media and, you know, the whole thing about the internet, is this, I mean, is, is it going to be a point that, people become so reliant on it that tech giants or governments can close it down so people start to get anxiety attacks and will do anything to get their <laughs> get their site yeah. back you know get their you know because 
I, I was thinking about it today when you were talking about conventions and that like if we decided to do a convention we could just flyer it all via the internet when we did the first london tattoo show we actually had to pay these guys to illegally fly post all over london with these big luminous posters <laughs> that we had and send out flyers i mean even for myself when i when i first started people say to me oh you've got loads of publicity what they don't understand is that i went into like the local news agents i picked up every magazine i thought might be interested in doing an article on tattooing and that was all different types of magazines and i wrote to the features editor of every magazine with the idea that if you're a features editor you're looking for things all the time but if suddenly one drops in your lap you haven't got so much work to do yeah. i've done like in a year something like 60 different magazine articles right wow. and that was back then plus i always had a pocket full of business cards and i still do you know i still stop people and give them business cards and uh, my mates all laugh at me but that's you know that was the way that you had to build your clientele up in in, in my time you know yeah or word of mouth and by seeing the, the tattoos on people you know it's it's just it's just incredible and and you know i'm not knocking instagram because i actually am addicted to it you know i do <laughs> I, I i love the fact that i'm just seeing people that can create such amazing not just tattooing, just all different amazing artwork there's yeah. there's there's a guy called tim carousel dog racer on instagram who he carves and paints dogs to look like fairground horses in the same style as the fairground horses his work wow. is just absolutely phenomenal that's just one of the people you discover on there and you know just young artists coming along all the time you know i think for me i still get great enthusiasm and joy from the tattoo trade and from seeing what people are, are, are creating you know and it's you know it's interesting yeah well, while we're on the subject of Instagram, we normally put out and ask if anybody has any questions, because um, sometimes we run out, really. We just need some inspiration <laughs> or something okay. just to give people, other people the, the opportunity to ask. So I think Mick's got a couple. Yeah. OK. Got one from Daryl Watson Tattoo. Thank you for checking us out. And uh, Daryl's question is, what do you love and hate most about modern tattooing? Oh, it's hard to say what modern tattooing is because there's so many different styles. Um, so I wouldn't, but it, the, the tattoo world of the moment, if we're talking about that, I just love the fact there's so much creativity. Um, I've always been an advocate of having more women coming into tattooing because from, I, I found a little thing that I'd written years ago about 1983 in a magazine called Tattoo Buzz when these guys have been decrying women coming into tattooing and I listed some women there and said you know you, you're, you're living in the past if you don't think that women have got a place within the tattoo world so it's been really good to see how that has happened and much as she gets a lot of criticism a lot has to be be said that Kat Von D's um, you know persona and the fact that she was so high profile really really did make I think a lot of uh, females realize yeah we can do that so I'm glad to see you know and there's and, and we're actually beginning to address the issue now of uh, you know people of color as as they would say or I mean in my studio we we worked for years with people from 
all different communities that came and got tattooed. So, you know, being in London, which is, which is really uh, very multicultural, we've seen that. And it's good that this is being addressed. You know, there's so many, there's things now that are good in the tattoo world. The things I don't like in the tattoo world, I've seen certain sites where people put their tattoos up for critique, which people might say, oh, well, you're asking for trouble for doing that. But there's some real nasty, nasty comments and that, you know, you shouldn't be like that. You should be trying to help people. Um, all of us can learn. I, I learn all the time in my in my shop and I have people, guest artists or people who, who work in, in my studio. I learn all the time, every single day. I mean, all through lockdown, with the creativity aspects you know I, I was looking at what people were doing trying things myself and that and we can all of us can grow and we should all grow and I guess when you as I say you know now that I'm in my 60s and that I was probably a right twat when I was younger but um you, you mellow down a bit and you see things with different eyes and actually you know talking with people and talking rationally is the way forward so to go back to the question, I'm really glad that we seem to be trying to get a much more equal tattoo society for everyone. But I really don't like the nastiness that I see from, from certain elements within the tattoo world. Let's just all keep it cool and chat in a in a polite way. Yeah, and actually, when so when I first started, it must be seven years ago now. I don't know if I saw you at the Essex, a little Essex convention. And I said to you, like, oh, please, Mr. Hardy, please, can I come and watch you? <laughs> and you were so large. You were like, yeah, of course. Yeah, come down to the shop. We'll sort it out. And I think what happened was I either lost my bottle or just life got away from me and I never did it. But I was so touched that somebody I held in such high esteem, this icon of British tattooing would just let little old me come and learn from you it was such a yeah I was so not shocked but you know it was it was lovely to know that you were happy to to help somebody and that's what it's about you know the label icon and that really to be honest with you there's so many great tattoo artists that don't do podcasts that have not been in the the, the public eye that I'm trying to encourage some of them to actually come and and talk and to get onto podcasts and that you know because I'm just one of loads of people who've got amazing stories people that have done amazing work people that have been movers and shakers within the tattoo trade you know now not everyone wants to come and talk or sometimes people feel a little bit self-conscious I'm really hoping that a few more of them come out because there's there's loads of stories to be told you know yeah uh, that'd be great I mean like we'd love to chat to more and it, if hopefully when life gets back to normal we said about you know coming to shops and doing it face to face and even if it was more of a pub environment or something like that if that's easier for people to chat to us we're so open to we'd love to chat to more well more people, you know more stories oh sorry I was talking over you there uh, I was going <laughs> to no, say one I, I I sorted out a thing unfortunately I don't know why it's never come out but with one pointe from uh, California I've got a whole group of old time tattooists in a in my mate's restaurant and um, we did it in an afternoon and just had a little bit to eat and a couple of drinks and that. And then we all started talking and they filmed it all. Wow. And it, being able to lead the the sort of 
conversation, if you like. Then the others started to open up. And we did a similar thing at one of the Brighton Tattoo Conventions. We called it uh, Old Time Tattoo Tales and uh, did a slideshow with some pictures that were like, they were the sort of like little bites to get people going. And it was amazing, you know, like the, there was a, a few old time guys there and they started to talk about stories and a lot of humour in it and and many things, you know. So it, maybe that's something for the future to consider to do a sort of a group one and to, to just, you know, some people feel more com- comfortable in that in- environment. But they, I'm telling you, there's a lot of great people out there. There's a lot. My, my friend Don Carper, he's 80 years old, still tattoos in Ramsgate. 80 wow. years old, still <laughs> still doing that, you know. It's amazing to think God. that that's a proper lifetime of tattooing, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, my God. He must have so many stories. That's insane. Yeah, there's just so much. There's so much information out there. I just want to soak it all up and listen to it all. So interesting. I think it would just be so like arrogant, really, to just take tattooing at face value and not think about all the the work that everyone else has done to get us to this point here. That to make but it so know, easy for a, us. There's a group of, uh, of sort of tattoo historians: Jimmy Scusi from Bristol Tattoo Club, uh, Paul Ramsbottom from, from Rambo's Tattoo Museum. Um, as I said, Terry Manton from Scottish Tattoo History, uh, Rich Hardy, uh, Professor York, or Darren Bray. All these guys, they, they, they all work and find stuff out. And they, there's just so many crazy things. I mean, Terry Manton, he's discovered Japanese tattoists that were working in, in England in, in the early 1900s, and, you know, oh. and just names that are coming out and, you know, getting back to the internet with the resources that are on there now there, there's so much information that can be found that was lost to us before um so yeah. that, that's one of the things I, i'm really interested in to read about people and stories and i mean terry's with his um research he's managed to find uh, the relations of people generations back and forward and to tie it all in and and to you know i mean i've got a a badge for a tattoo artist a a brass plaque from a guy called captain kilbride and i I got it at an auction and there was no information on captain kilbride but through terry we've actually found out who this guy was his life story is just absolutely fascinating the fact he was married he'd been married to two fully tattooed ladies he tattooed all over the place so all these things make it such a rich, rich trade to be in. Apart from yeah. the artistic side of it, you know, for those that have got an interest in the history of it, um, the history is bigger than it's ever been, you know? Yeah. And you mentioned Professor York, and I follow I follow him on Instagram, and that's, that is an amazing page. Like, he really goes so far back, Victorian tattooing, and mm. the, the stuff he finds is incredible. So anybody who wants a good resource, yeah, prof, is it just prof.york, I think his Instagram yeah. is, and, yeah, it's awesome. And, and but Rich Hardy has just produced a book on Ben Corday, who was a totally amazing flash artists so you know there's a lot of independently published books coming out that are a wealth of information you know yeah that's so i'll be buying them all (laughs) 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 
Um, um, a quick question, Lucy. Sorry to butt in. Um, no, I was just going to say, and Mick. <laughs> um, Lala, um, you, you were part of the Association of Professional Tattoo Artists. Did you? Did you? Were you part of the group that started that, or did you join it? And uh, how did that? How did that come about? Okay, so the APTA, the Association of Professional Tattoo Artists, initially started off as the International Tattoo Artists Association, which I believe was maybe set up by Terry Wrigley in Scotland. I think Lyle Tuttle might have had something to do with it. That was before my time. It then changed its name to the ETAA, the European Tattoo Artists Association. And a guy called Painless Jeff Baker, who had a tattoo studio in Deal, used to do a magazine called Tattoo Buzz that he sent out every quarter. Um, he'd photocopy it all, collate it. It was made out of articles, newspaper cuttings and that. Anyway, it became a lot for Jeff to run. And I'd been sending cuttings and write-ups into him. And he asked me, would I be interested in taking it over? So myself, Ian Redding, and John Williams, once again, the guys... Or, or two of the guys that were also involved in the Dunstable Tattoo Expos, we took it over. And because we had quite a lot of contacts around the world, the membership grew. So we felt that calling it the European Tattoo Artists Association wasn't really um, applicable anymore because we wanted to reflect the fact that it was tattoo artists from all over the world. So we changed the name to the Association of Professional Tattoo Artists. And we ran it for many years and then... I think in the late 1990s, we handed over the reins to somebody else. And as far as I know, it just disappeared, you know. But we used to publish a magazine every every three months, which we had professionally printed. Um, I think at the height of it, we probably had about seven or 800 members, which doesn't seem much now when you can have 100,000 Instagram followers. But <laughs> was another means of communication, of linking the tattoo community together. Um, so, yeah, I was involved in that heavily. The tattoo magazines that I've just been reading for years, Skin Deep, have been another casualty of COVID. And it's like tattoo magazines are so, are just been so important in in our history that it's such a shame that they've now gone. And I hope that well, hope maybe they can restart. Skin Deep's finished, I think, for good. Total Tattoo's still publishing. I got it yesterday support it's yeah. the only british tattoo magazine left now and it's been going for a number of years and, and perry's been in the tattoo world for a long time so yeah total tattoo.co.uk follow oh, them good yeah i'll have to message him then because i was gonna um i was gonna say oh you don't you don't want to put our i hate to tell <laughs> i hate to tell you right tattoo podcasts that's motherfuckers the... <laughs> motherfuckers <laughs> we're like a month too late for fuck's sake oh damn we missed the boat who's in it who the fuck's in it <laughs> steph bastian steph bastian, jack watts there's a few he's, he's a nice little article it doesn't oh. matter you're doing your one now that's all right yeah we got you so, was there any other any other questions via Instagram that I've got to answer? Uh, there was one from uh, Ricky Tattoo, and Ricky asks: Besides tattooing, what other things do you spend your time doing? Oh, tattooing takes up a lot of my time, to be honest with you. But um, I've been involved over the years in different things. I used to do 
martial arts. I used to breed dogs, judge and show dogs. Um, used to like traveling a real lot. I was very interested in going to uh, traveller places like Appleby Horse Fair, um, countryside events. At the moment, I'm painting lots of banknotes, but they're on a tattoo theme. I'm going to put a book of those out soon. I like nature. I like going and photographing nature, looking at, at things. I listen to loads of music. Um, I like to read. So, yeah, it's just the gen things old blokes do now. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a you're a Spurs fan, aren't you? I am. So um, when Lucy was starting out, she was trying to get into portrait, and she wanted an old man's face to do. So <laughs> I, I suggested, and I do have a tattoo of Bill Nicholson on my leg that Lucy did for me. Oh, great man! And well done on that choice. Thank you. <laughs> um, I also read some of the, you've, you've tattooed some Arsenal players who are Spurs's rivals. You not ever I... tempted to just squeak a little 1961 in there somewhere? No, to, well, I, I I had an Arsenal fan that was giving me a lot of grief. And um, I just grabbed his arm and wrote Spurs on him. Um, <laughs> but it was okay because there was going he was a friend and it, it was a it was part of a cover up, so I just sneaked it in there. And um, when when I finished, he was like, "Oh, thank God you covered it up." I said, "Yeah, but we both know it's still there." But uh, you know, I. I, I you know, about 10 years ago, um, I was tattooing loads of footballers, uh, premiership footballers. It just, I was just lucky that I fell into that. And I did. I tattooed loads of Spurs players. I tattooed um, a lot of Arsenal players. And it was a really interesting insight, actually, to to meet these, these young people that, to the public we think that they're very wealthy young men that they're probably spoiled people they're this they're that but they're actually human beings who have emotions who have anxieties who have many things that go unseen you know and before we we came online we were talking about mental health issues and things like that and you know one of the sayings about football is a short career. It actually is. When you when you get to meet these guys, I mean, one young chap I told, he was signed by Tottenham and then they found out he had a hole in the heart and that was his career finished, you know. And at that time, a lot of the other young players who he came with, you know, they, they were going on in their careers. They've ended up playing for their countries. They've ended up playing in cup finals, Um you know, with different clubs and that. And this poor lad, he lost everything, you know. Um, so that was an interesting time to actually meet the players. Um, one, one of the real nicest guys actually was Tim Tim Howard, who was the American goalkeeper who played for Everton and Manchester United. Tim loves tattoos, you know. He really, really loves tattoos. Uh, he's, he's a great friend that I met through tattooing footballers. Awesome. Is this how you feel, Mick, the whole time during podcasts when we're name dropping like tattooists and that and you don't know who they are? Because I'm just listening to you talking about sports and you finally won. Yeah. It's finally a sports cast. And that's, I'm like, what? That's a legitimate <laughs> question. It's not me swinging it around to it for no reason. So, yeah, that's that's cool. <laughs> okay, well, no more me. sports. Yeah, no more sports. I saw a couple of questions that people have put. One person asked what machines I use. Oh yeah, yeah, that yeah, Emily Malice actually said, yeah, Emily Malice said, what what's your favorite machine to use and what do you listen to? Well, what's your favorite album to listen to while you're tattooing? 
Okay. On on the subject of machines, um, I just want to say that in the tattoo world, there is this whole thing, isn't there? Loyal to the coil, promoter and a rotor, and you use a, you use a dildo. Well, <laughs> I'm just going to say to any tattoo artist who looks at a tattoo pen and thinks that's a dildo, for God's sake, go to a sex shop. And you will find out what a dildo is. Um, to be honest with you, I use a mixture of machines. I mean, I've got a, a big collection of machines, but prior to lockdown, I use uh, on-coil machines. I use one made by Rob Hostetter in the USA, another one by Morgan Pettit, who is in Australia. I use Bert Thomas and Dan Self-Made Machines from the UK, and a machine that I, I part designed and built with a guy which is called a rude boy um but i do use a pen or a dildo um <laughs> if anyone wants to call it that and it's one with a built-in battery and i absolutely love it you know and i kind of say to people when they get all bent out of shape i don't care what you use why are you caring what i fucking use right <laughs> it's like it's like the equation. Three plus three is six. Five plus one is six. Seven minus one is six. It doesn't matter what way you get to it. You get the same result. And that's the same with tattooing. If your end product is a tattoo that your customer is really happy with, it doesn't matter whether you've hand poked it, used a rotary machine, a pen, um, a stamp, a block, whatever. You, you know, it's just like, come on, just use whatever makes you happy that's the thing you know <laughs> so that's that's my little rant about machines as for music i mean listen i've always been mad mad on music and it's quite funny because before we got on here i was listening to um, lou hopper's um podcast and when she was saying about how she first got into tattooing how there was a kind of a connection between the tattooing the different sort of tribes and and the music uh, and that's definitely been a case with me that I've really been involved in loads of different music scenes and that. And in our shop, we used to, back in the days of cassettes, have cassette tape racks all around the walls. Then it was CDs, but now it's Spotify. And I listen to everything. I've got such an uh, eclectic taste. I mean, it might be Gutful, The Idols, Slaves, one day or rockabilly and meteors and psychobilly the next or the tesky brothers and otis reading just depends how i feel i love sharing music with friends you know um building playlists and that so you know i could do without a television in my life but i could never do without music same yeah i think we're both mick and i are both big music people as well so yeah that's nice yeah, I do think there's, like you said there about the, the good things and the bad things. I feel with Spotify and the how easy it is, I, I'd never buy an album anymore. And I used to love doing that as a kid when I'd get yeah. like do my Saturday job, get 20, 20 quid in my pocket and go to, the, go to the record store and have to choose, you know, can I get that old Slayer album or shall I buy this pop punk album that I'm interested in? You know, and I have to sit there and make that decision about what you want to do. And now I can just couple of clicks i can hear everything that's ever been recorded it's quite interesting actually with regard to my early days in tattooing how important um record sleeves were because in the punk times 
Um, apart from the fact there was, you know, there was so much creativity within punk. A lot of the people designed their own sort of record covers. And we used to have a place called Arcade Records in North Finchley near where my shop is. And every Thursday in the window, he'd put all the picture discs up, all the latest releases, the coloured vinyls and that. And I mean, you know, within the punk world, when you, when you look at the, the Dead Kennedys, Black Flag, um, Anti Nowhere League, all, all their logos and imagery served really well as tattoos, you know. So it was really important at that time. So, yeah, the albums were something great to buy. But the problem is when you get to my age, if you're a bit of a collector or as my partner would say, hoarder, you're running mm -hmm. out of space and you just ask yourself why you've got all this stuff. You know, it's, I mean, on, on the tattoo collection front, you know, I've got a huge collection of tattooing stuff, but really I'm just wondering why I've got it all. <laughs> it, it, I, I'm trying to thin it right down. So there's only a few things I've got that are either connected to my journey in tattooing or that, uh, that I particularly like that, that give me pleasure to see them because you know the other stuff i just think it needs to be in the hands of somebody who's going to appreciate it. i've had my time with it if that makes sense you know yeah i collect a lot of antiques and um, vintage stuff and i like things like uh like old cigarette boxes or cigarette dispensers or you know like compacts and just normal day-to-day -day things and i just think i like to look at them they bring me joy and when it doesn't bring me joy then i can pass it on to someone else and it will bring them joy and there's some things yeah. I'll never get rid of. And there's some things that, you know, it's nice to look at, but I'll give it to someone else. Yeah. I've actually recently been going through lots of stuff and I set up a little sort of stall outside the front of my shop and leave it there for people to take and oh. see what goes and what doesn't, you know. And uh, I was a bit disappointed, really. I had rather a cute hippopotamus piggy bank. And nobody, nobody took it. I don't <laughs> so know really why. Good. It sounds lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have it. It's gone. It's gone to the. It's gone to the great landfill in the sky. <laughs> oh, um, Mick, have you got any other questions? See, so you've written down. Just one thing that you mentioned earlier that, um, if, if you've got time, I'd like to go to go over. You said that you wear. As a tattooist, you wear many hats, and and I've done it myself. Where I've gone gone to get a tattoo for someone who's who's passed away. One of the things that I found most comforting about it was being able. It was almost like part of the process. I didn't realise it was at the time, but actually, getting that tattoo and talking about my friend David who died while I was getting it done actually helped. And if the tattooist, who also happens to be Lucy, um, <laughs> you know, wasn't my friend, I might not have done it because I didn't want to open up to someone, but actually talking about it really helped. And it's just something that you mentioned earlier about having having to wear many hats. You're not just there to put some ink in the skin is the, the basis thing that you do. The rest of it that you, you have where you get these connections with people, it must be it must be really rewarding, but also really, really quite hard at times. Yeah, I mean, there's been a couple of personal tragedies that are quite close to me. Um, one I don't want to talk about another one was a guy who worked for me um, and I, I found him dead which was oh my god it was kind of really really hard 
And I, I, there, there's a magazine called Cooler Magazine uh, published in Brighton that have done a wellness issue recently. And in that, I touched a lot on on two things, bereavement and mental health issues within the tattoo world. And on, on the bereavement front, I mean, it, for a lot of young people, the experience of losing somebody doesn't necessarily mean that they could cope with it or doing a tattoo of it if that makes sense um so over over the years i i've been called upon to do lots of memorial tattoos for people um and as you get older there's more people around you that, that die but personally i will talk to anyone if they want to talk about the person or the circumstances and the knowledge uh, an experience I've gained in dealing with bereavement on personal levels. If I can impart that to them or help it to them, I will do. I mean, one of the things that I say to everyone uh, when they lose somebody is to really be kind to yourself. And the other thing is that I like to tell people to imagine that their heart has got a big door on it, like a bank vault, like you see in those old films where they have a big like handle that turns and they open this massive vault. And I just ask the person to take all the love, all the memories of that person and draw it into that safe, into that vault, and then gently shut the door and lock it. And then that person is with you forever. They'll never leave you if you get on an aeroplane they're with you wherever you go that person that you love and and whose memory you want to keep enshrined forever is always with you um i mean some of the stories of people that have died that i've told i mean i had a guy call me up and he said you know my son's got an appointment with you i want to take his appointment i don't know what he was getting but whatever it is i want to get it and when he turned up at the shop i got chatting to him his son was waiting to cross the road and got hit by a boy racer i mean it was just tragic but the dad actually had the tattoo that the boy was going to get and then another friend of mine their their son was was killed in an accident and i'd done a tattoo for them to celebrate his birth and then i had to do a tattoo to remember and commemorate his loss and i've forged many friendships and really emotional bonds with people because i just feel that i'm at a point in my life now where i'm not scared to talk to people or to be able to i can be really comfortable if their emotions need to be expressed you know and that's that's a, a good thing for me as well um on the mental health issues um thing i was saying before we went on there that as a as a kid you know i was brought up in a family where it was the stiff upper lip you, you know you don't cry you don't show too many emotions and i can remember my little dog had got killed and my mum told me and i was crying and my granddad was telling me be strong you know it's just it's just a dog and it took a long time to actually forgive my grandfather for saying them things but it turned out he'd grown up with his generation it's a bit like the philip larkin poem they fuck us up isn't it <laughs> that you know it, I, I found for a long time that i thought you just had to focus straight ahead that if anything was bothering you you couldn't ask for help and i experienced uh in my life panic attacks uh and 
through bizarre way found out how to cope with them but to be able to you know as somebody who is well known in the tattoo world to be able to say listen i've had loads of issues and times when you've questioned your existence when there's been times you felt immensely down where you you don't know where your brain's going or focusing and there is no shame in asking asking for help we live in a world that has a lot of pressures for a lot of people the tattoo trade can have its own pressures whether it's it's through weight of work through people who get involved in alcohol or drugs just anxiety in general i mean for any of you for anyone especially with this covid situation that we've gone through you know just reach out to to your friends or, or seek help don't suffer in silence so, you know there's there's been some very sad stories that have come out of this period of time and we all need to be kind to each other and to just be there for each other because i'm grateful for every person that has phoned me up to just say hey are you okay are you all right and it's important that we share the love you know in this world yeah absolutely and i'll post a i have a couple of um posts on my own instagram just some resources um and i'll post them on the on the page just as a couple of numbers that you can just text if you need um just some support and there are so many resources and it's so important to normalize this for everyone mental health it's just everyone experiences experiences it doesn't don't they so yeah, oh, do you know, so in, in during the first lockdown, um, a friend of mine said, said, "Could I do a picture for the for for their friend um, whose brother took his own life in lockdown?" And you know, I made this picture. Um, it was actually a digital portrait type picture, and the, the family said they gave him, you know, a lot of sort of don't know what the word would be comfort that they've got it but in my heart of hearts it was just really sad to look at a young person and think this is what happened and then the first tattoo I did when I went back was was a guy whose brother was in his 50s who took his life um, during lockdown I mean this has been a very difficult period for a lot of people you know and whether it's people that have lost people through through corona um, or to people that have lost their livelihoods, people that have just been isolated, people that have been confused and lost and that. I really, really hope that from this period of time that's been so debilitating for so many, some good comes from it and that, the, that you know, more resources are put there for the people who need it because there has been some very, very heartbreaking stories for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And just yeah fingers crossed that we'll look back on this in a year and think well we, you know we got through that and um and if the world has thrown that at us and we've managed to survive you know one so. of the interesting things when you're talking about after this this ends i think uh, i think initially when the when the first lockdown or, or when it came to the second one i think a lot of people psychologically thought oh when it comes to december the 31st new year's eve you know, 2021 is going to be a new start and it will be gone away. I think, honestly, because that's how we, we we see ends to things, don't we? You know, like a day has 24 hours, a week has seven days. We're used to having a start and a finish point, which COVID hasn't given us that because it's produced so much uncertainty. But I've spoken to a few people who have got 
a little bit of an upbeat to to feel that there might be kind of a renaissance of of smaller businesses um and creativity that comes as a result of this so when so it will be very interesting in the tattoo world when we reopen and and the music industry and venues and that to see whether something comes along that is actually maybe groundbreaking or that you know i mean from the uncertainty there could come a positivity which i really hope you know yeah and i think there's definitely been positive aspects like people are so much more aware of the importance of shopping small and supporting small businesses and i feel like people are more conscious to go to their local greengrocers or their market store rather than going to tesco so if something's positive that's come out of this and i think it's definitely that and and also the support that we've had from customers as tattooists, I've just been blown blown away by the support I've had from individuals always buying my prints, the same ones always entering competitions and things. And, and it's just, yeah, I feel very lucky to have had that sort of support from individuals. It's amazing. And I guess listening to that, we have to say as well that once again, we have to be thankful for social media that is given a platform. Yeah. You know, I mean, earlier on, we spoke about the importance of the stencil machine. But for the modern generation, I think the social media platforms take away the negativity side of it on the positive side. It's just an absolutely incredible vehicle to, to have as a tattoo artist, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. I am, yeah, very thankful for it because, and I've been so aware of that during this, if I didn't have that reach, would I have survived? I just, you know, it's, it's an excellent resource. As much as we moan about it and we moan about the algorithm and we moan about how they want us to pay to promote stuff, like, thanks, Instagram. <laughs> it's quite interesting, though, with tattoos having to pay for things because there's been a little bit of a, a case going on where um, a tattoo artist painted a picture of uh, Keith Flint from The Prodigy from a photograph and then started selling prints and now the photographer is claiming the copyright once oh, once yeah. payment and this is one of the things that you know when tattooists call other tattooists out for copying their designs or nicking their designs or whatever one of the things i've been saying for a long time is that especially with a lot of realism work where people go and take images from the internet um there must be photographers out there now that are thinking to themselves hold on a minute you know i I want a little bit of that action and I think that that's one of the things we're going to see with copyrights and that more companies trying to get something out of somebody you know so it's um, that's going to be interesting in the tattoo world as well to see what happens there you know I mean Kat Von D's got this case at the minute hasn't she where just gonna say Miles, yeah Miles Davis's photographer I mean I don't even know how it works I mean people <laughs> People take photos of others and don't give any money to the person they've taken the photo of, but make money out of it. And then tattooists do their thing. It's all a bit, it's a bit of a mad area out there, really. But I know. Is it going to be, we can only do a portrait of somebody if we've taken the photo of them? Like, but then you put things out into the public realm and they're there for the picking. How can you stop that? Well, I guess buying it, it, the photos from something like iStock. Yeah, but, but you know some of these companies that have photos i saw some the other day and they were vintage tattoo photos and i thought how how do you even 
how have you got the copyright and how do you own them? You know, you didn't take them. You haven't even bought them. You've just swiped them from somewhere. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a bit of a maelstrom out there as to to how copyright works. You know, I mean, I, somebody was saying that they did a picture of a wolf and they put the photo next to it, which was the reference, and it was from uh, a photographic company that sells stock photos, and they sued the guy, took money off of him for using their photo, not for doing the tattoo, but for just using their photo and putting it on Instagram without permission. So, well, we, ne- yeah. we never had these problems back in the day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> They just didn't exist. It's and that's what we're saying about for future generations. The different different things come through different generations that they've got to address and work out how to to get through. You know. Yeah. If you could tattoo, go back and tattoo in one year or era or decade, would you choose more like this? Well, probably not twenty twenty one, but would you choose modern day or would you go back? You know any what? decade. Listen, I've got to tell you, I've always had this thing that I wish there was a time machine. I'm sure loads of people do. I'm sure I say this probably daily, I think, (laughs) you know, apart from wishing to be invisible, which lots of people want for various reasons. But (laughs) no, I'm just saying lots of people seem to want that as a superpower. But um, no, when I talk about time machines, I don't know about tattooing in different areas. I'd love to go back and when I was tattooing out my kitchen and walk in there as I am now and look at myself and just think, fucking hell, what were you doing? That would be interesting. (laughs) But one of the other things I'd always thought would be absolutely amazing would be imagine if you if there was such a thing as a time machine and you went back to say see Sutherland McDonald or George Birch even Sailor Jerry and you went into their shop and you had ready-made needles and ready-mixed colors and you had them in a little suitcase and you just said oh excuse me you know I'd like to give these to you I'd love to know what their reaction would be how they how they would view it or to see things that would have helped them in their art back then you know because you know Jerry was an innovator but you know Imagine if you just went there and said, look, this is what we've got. It would be incredible. And at the same time, to soak in the atmosphere of what their studios must have been like, to see the actual person, to see whether they were tall or short, what their accent really was like, what the colour of their eyes were like, what their designs were like, their their mannerisms and that. It would be be really fascinating to, to see that. But, of course... There aren't time machines, so I have to stop myself from floating off into this ludicrous world that I do all the time of <laughs> thinking that I it's so bad. I mean, do you remember that program, Good Night Sweetheart, with Nicholas yeah. Linder? Oh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I used to be thinking, oh, I mean, I actually I went through it in my brain so much that I thought that if you were going to go back to see George Birchett, you would have to, before you went, actually make sure that you'd gone and got enough money from that era you'd have to research the money and everything you know to to go there and it's just I mean just people tell me you're mental mate I've just got too much time on my hands sometimes but <laughs> you've put a lot of thought into that <laughs> <laughs> way too much but you know with you know with in tattooing one of the little notes I, I put down is in tattooing, humour is needed as well as ethics. Yeah. And I think that 
we have to it, there there used to be within tattooing a gallows humor you know that existed and maybe for some of the humor that existed when i first started it's not got a, a place in the modern day but there is still a place for humor and for people to smile and laugh at the same time as having really good ethics within the business you know because if you don't laugh and smile you just turn into a right misery yeah yeah <laughs> that's it oh it's just been so great to talk to you thank you so much for telling us your stories and just just giving us your time and we've oh, got so right. much we're probably i imagine we might have to split it up we, yeah what do you reckon Mick? nearly do two, two hours so i think we'll do this a two-parter yeah wow <laughs> so thanks, thanks for, for telling us that all your all your stories and and whatnot for two hours is really really great so yeah no yeah. problem I, and and I, I would just like to say to you know the tattoo world to everyone who's been part of my journey whether it's customers other artists uh, to the to people i've never even met but we've communicate via social media you know just wish you all well and thanks for just being there and being friendly it's been absolutely as i said a real amazing journey for me and i'm sure for lots of other tattooists and for the youngsters starting out i really hope that you have long and interesting journeys as well because then one day in the future you'll be doing some kind of podcast and telling your stories for others to listen to and that's a good thing you know storytelling within the tattoo world is really important it's a little bit like a tapestry it gets a little bit embroidered or or a big embroidery that's it and we embroider it a little bit and we make it a little bit more interesting and in the end it's just this immense embroidery that tells a tale and it, i love that you know yeah and and thank you for being a part of that and um yeah it's just been amazing i sound like you're about to give some and i'm gonna leave tattooing <laughs> don't ever leave tattoo me first <laughs> oh, no, no, i mean i i you know i think for a lot of people they probably at certain times in their career it could be at any point of it question whether they still want to do it i think that the coronavirus or covid era a lot of tattooists I know have retired because they actually enjoyed having that time off, you know, yeah. when they were like older tattoo artists. I've gone through times when I thought recently, do I really want to go back and do it? Um, I walked into my shop. I, I wrote a little poem about it's on my Instagram, just about the tattoo studio, about how cold and dark it is. But it concluded by saying, I know your heart will beat again, you know, and I think that once the doors open and I get back in there, I'll be really happy, you know, because that is my world and my environment. But this enforced layoff has been very hard on it, you know what I mean? So That's I'm it. looking forward. But as as we're talking, it was really grey this morning and now the sun is shining through my window. And that, so I hope that's what happens to the tattoo world. I hope the greyness is replaced with a, sun, a tattoo sunshine for us all, you know. And hopefully by the time this episode comes out, we we will be back at work. So keeping everything crossed. Cool. That's Thank fine. you so much. so much. No problem.